and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Welcome back, empaths. Today we're going to do a really, I don't know if we should say it's an interesting show, a deep show, uh, but there's a lot of talk right now about ancestral healing and how important it is. And I think as empaths, this is something we all hold very near and dear to our hearts. Many of us have had circumstances in our family of origin or in our ancestral lineage that have impacted us. And I think, you know, we're hoping to shed a little light with this brief overview today of what ancestral healing is and some different things that we can do to kind of push back that curtain a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of a new term to me in a way. How long do you think it's been out there? 10 years or longer? I think it depends on who you talk to, but I, it, it also, a lot of times topics seem to get renamed or re, repurposed. And But I do think that this aligns beautifully with the last few years of people identifying trauma and releasing grief and stepping away from, you know, and all the shadow work stuff. And and that's a big part of this ancestral healing. Uh, We did the show on epigenetics a couple of years ago now. Yeah. And this is aligned with that. This is uh, also talks about, you know, because basically ancestral healing is, you know, it's about setting an intention with a purpose to try to release the shadows, the wounds, and the unresolved trauma from our ancestral lineage and healing our family tree, basically. Because when we we share such a strong relationship with our ancestors, that the things that have been inadvertently passed down through generations can truly impact our psychological and emotional behaviors in this lifetime. Well, that's not heavy stuff at all, Denise. Let's just no, dive right in. no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, but to kind of like like pull out a little bit from that beautiful definition you just gave, I just want to share a quick quote from a book called "Heal Your Ancestral Roots" by Dr. Dayal Gulati. She says. For most of us, our family history has been shaped by the tectonic movements of war, victimization, poverty, hunger, suicide, and other powerful forces. Now, she's not talking about like, you know, in this generation or the last generation. She's talking about throughout the generations of your family that led to you walking this earth. Your family history has been shaped by these huge movements of of war and poverty and hunger and other powerful forces, just as the earth has been shaped by the movement of glaciers, earthquakes, volcanoes, and other forces of nature. I never really thought about it that broadly. Have you? No, no. And, you know, when you think about that, this work is really pointing at that we carry the old stories in our body. Like we carry them and there's been so much research on genetic markers that come through from people who are descendants of the Holocaust or who are, you know, went through the potato famine or all of the different really significant historical time periods. They're finding that the descendants of those people often have a propensity towards some kind of a physical uh, marker or reaction. Wow. It's just something to think about how all of that is passed on. And I often wonder too, Denise, is it genetic or is it, is it something more, you know, like that study, I think we shared in the epigenetic episode of, of people who have like a family history of being afraid of something. Like, let's say, I don't know, everyone in your family is incredibly shy. Well, maybe, maybe your great, great grandmother was a really, really shy person. And so every time she's walking down the street with her daughter and a person approaches to say, hey, how you doing? What do you know? How are you? She squeezes her daughter's hand really, really tight because she's nervous. And that daughter picks up on that. And then when that daughter gets older, she's also nervous of strangers. So when someone comes walking down the street, she squeezes her son's hand really, really tight. And then that son gets the subconscious message of strangers are scary. And then he passes it on. Does that make sense? So there's some research that's suggesting, is this even 
genetic or is it just learned behavior passed on through the generations? And I think it might be both. I really do. Because some of them can't be explained. If you have a really uh, a gregarious, you know, the the odd man out syndrome of the child that is airdropped in, like so many of us that are empaths or have been, you know, our family of origin had some interesting dynamics. We always felt like we might not have, we weren't quite like everyone else in the family. If you ever have that feeling is, are you more apt to be carrying a genetic lineage that you came in. And we've said this over and over. So many people are stepping up right now and saying it ends with me. And it might be reflective of their immediate family of origin, or who knows, maybe it's going back even further. I think I've told this story a couple of times, so forgive me, but my older sister Tara, when I was little, tried to convince me that I was adopted. And she had some really good pointers because she was like, you're the only one who's left-handed. You're the only one with curly hair. And you came along so much later because, you know, she's 10 years older than I am. And so she said gypsies had dropped me off at the doorstep. And, you know, she's being a typical sister, like teasing me. I was so happy. I was like, that makes so much sense. (laughs) She was like, you're so weird. And then I cried. So she got what she wanted eventually. But I remember my initial reaction was, oh, that's why I'm different. So I don't know. know. That story always cracks me up because there's, yeah, I think most of us empaths are the different one in the family. But I also think because of our sensitivity and our heightened awareness, maybe we are part of the the process to help really heal some of this ancestral karma. I don't know. I don't either, but I do know many, many of us are making conscious choices with parenting in a different way or allowing and encouraging our children to be who they came to be, not who we thought they're supposed to be. So that might just be a, you know, a sign of the times. But when, when I was reading through these books and looking for putting some notes together, it, I, what I thought of is, what if we decided when we were in spirit with our soul family, I'll take care of the generations of fill in the blank. Like it was a collaborative effort before we came in of saying, okay, put this on my list of things to do. And on some, it's rising to the surface now. Right, exactly. Because it's time, it's time to shift and change these things. It really is. Now, one of the things I kept coming across when I was doing research for this, because I got to be honest, Denise, I don't know the first thing about healing my ancestral roots. And this was a new topic for me because I've thought about generational trauma and karma. I have thought a lot about it, but the idea of diving deep into it, I've kind of been like, uh, eh, one day. So when I was reading through some of the material this kept coming up again and again, was to look at positive and negative themes reappearing in your family. And again, we're not talking just about your family of origin. We're talking about generations of your family. So is there um, a repeating negative pattern, for example, of business failure or money problems, health issues, divorce, sibling conflicts? Or are there also positive themes reappearing in your family, like good humor, happy marriages, great health and longevity, financial success, career accomplishments. And I thought that was interesting to, again, take that broader, wider lens to start looking at this this big topic. And it's important to, to add in right at this point that you, if you are adopted or you are in the foster care system, you have that you still have your biological family family impact but also the family that you are brought up with so it, it just it, this isn't just about biology and i think that's a really really important factor to consider that's huge thank you for saying that that's so true one of the things that um dr deval galati asks in her book i thought was really interesting she says you may be the one your ancestors have been waiting for the one who will bring healing and repair of the family energy field. When you start to do that, you lift the ceiling on your own life and also those who may come after you. So I think that's 
such an important sentence to just pause and think about. You may have been the one your ancestors have been waiting for. But then she asked this question, Denise, you are the flower of your family tree. How did you find the capacity to bloom? Oh, I love that. I do too. I do too. And I think just, again, contemplating and thinking about these patterns and themes reappearing throughout the family stories is going to be very illuminating. And then look at all of that, whatever the negative patterns are that are repeating and the positive patterns, see if you can identify it in your own life. And she also mentions looking at polarities here. So if, for example, everyone in your family, well, that's a that's a big word. If the majority of the people in your family tend to be negative naysayers and you're like super positive and extroverted and gregarious and always on the bright side, that's a polarity, she says, that's really important to look at as well. Because are you that way as a way to heal this this family pattern, right? But anyway, once you look at all of those patterns, then you want to shine the light back on yourself and say, how have I bloomed in this family tree? What is, what is my mark here? What, what makes me feel as though I'm shining my light? And that is so vitally important because it goes along with everything that you're, you're reading, everything you're talking about is we're making a conscious choice to do it differently. Yes. And, you know, uh, sometimes these, these shadows or these, the, uh, we're just using that word randomly, but this ancestral healing that needs to happen might manifest in, you know, anxious words or having fears, having behaviors or unexplained physical symptoms. Some people even view it as a form of secondary PTSD that can at times lead to mental health problems. So, or, so I think that there, it, you know, what the other, I'm going to jump a little bit, but I was thinking about the stories that are told and we all have them where we always heard, oh, well, you know, uncle so-and-so, and this is what happened to him. And that story gets told over and over again. Are those stories a key to where to begin looking for some of the, the um, healing that needs to happen? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And looking at what those stories, why are those stories, all the stories that could be told and retold in your family, why are those ones the ones that keep coming up again? What is the family as a unit trying to teach you about where you come from and who you are? Well, this is from uh, Natalia and Terry O'Sullivan wrote a book, Ancestral Healing Made Easy, How to Resolve Ancestral Patterns and Honor Your Family History. And there was a quote in there that really hit me as far as uh, in regards to healing. And it said, but the family member who caused the most pain and dysfunction is invariably the one who holds the key to healing the past. And the one who tried their best to support their children and descendants is often the one who is unable to stop the legacy from being passed on. And that just really slammed me. Yeah, that 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 hits very very hard, doesn't it? It does because the I mean, of course, not being you know self centered about it, but I'm, you, you, I'm my immediate first thought was, have I perpetuated or am I helped to alleviate? Oh. I think that's a hard one to answer, right? Because we're all doing the best we can, and we're all doing the best we can with the tools we were given, and so I think it's important to at least lean into those questions and and look at of your parents who held the key. And maybe who held, who tried to hold that door closed to protect everyone. Right. And that's what seems to be a very, uh, throughout a lot of the things that you and I read, it seems to be starting with yourself is the key. Don't, mm-hmm. don't go back too far too fast, but just really start with yourself. Think about your, your little timeline, you know, where you've lived, your date of birth, were you married? Just, and then one suggestion they gave in the book, one activity was to write a story, remembering as much as possible, but weaving in any feelings that come to mind about the people, your school friends, your neighbors, and you really get to do an overview of yourself, your life, why you're wired the way you are. 
is this mine to own kind of thing. So if you're, oh, I was really a great student, but no one else in my family valued education, that's a key. But once you get really deep with yourself, then you start going back to the parents or and then further back to the grandparents. Because I think you have to figure out what you're holding before you can find out how to release it. Weren't you saying you should do like a timeline? That that was suggested was a timeline. And I mean, this is this isn't a quick fix stuff from everything. You know, it would be lovely of I'm gonna do an afternoon workshop. Bam, I am healed. That's not <laughs> what this is. <laughs> This is deeper and it's very self-reflective, I think, of, and is that, is that a pool we want to swim in right now? Right. You have to make sure you're in a good headspace to do that. I think it was during COVID that I did, I did a trauma timeline and I don't know what inspired me to do that, but I was trying to, there was so much that I had wanted to accomplish during COVID and I did get a lot done during that time. But I was also thinking like, oh, I thought I would do this and this. And I don't know, maybe learn a new language. Remember when everyone was posting their bacon bread and planting yeah. trees? And so I was trying not to be so hard on myself. So I I did a trauma timeline and I wrote down like the huge hurricane we had been through before COVID and my health trauma and my divorce. And I went all the way back and it was really helpful to me and eye opening and i suggested it to a friend of mine and i said i am not a therapist nor do i play one on tv so i don't even know if this is a good thing to do you know or a bad thing and anyway she did it it helped her a ton and when you and i were talking about some of the stuff we learned from reading up on this topic you mentioned the timeline so it made me think of my trauma timeline so i guess i'm just wondering in that timeline were they suggesting you write down like major good and bad things in your life and then go back to your parents' lives and maybe your grandparents, if you know some ups and downs, or was it my little negative trauma timeline or do you include positive things? I think including positive is important. And this is kind of a jump, but not really. We, you know, I journal and I have the books from all these years and all this stuff. And someone said, well, you should just shred them or burn them because you're holding on to the past with that. And I thought about your trauma timeline. And I thought how much I've processed with trauma and grief and lost through those pages. But then I also thought there is so many joyous, unbelievably happy moments in there of you know, chronicling when my children were young or places I've been or family. I mean, there's a lot of love. There's a lot of hope in there as well. And I think when we look at this, we do have to value, you You brought it up earlier, of there's some wonderful things that we may have, a sense of humor, a, you know, a love of music. A, there, there's things that we've we've inherited as well that aren't necessarily trauma and grief. So yeah, and- balance. I'm really glad you said all that because it's so important to always try and see both sides, the positive and the negative. Even in the negative, there's a positive, right? So like that gregarious extroverted person I was mentioning before who maybe came from negative parents who were always, you know, just seeing the glasses half empty. Well, there's a positive in that because since that person was raised in that, you know, marinated in that soup of of negativity and and all of that, it made him more positive and outgoing. And I think that's a good thing. Well, and, and this is just a little quick blurb again from the ancestral healing book that I mentioned was each generation will encounter a chaotic or traumatic experience, as well as a positive, affluent, and creative one. If it's this that the following generation will try to follow, heal, or act out from an emotional and biological perspective, the ties that bind us to our family can help or obstruct us. And then it goes on to say, by reaching back into our inheritance, we can discover those patterns. And I think, you know, if we don't, personally, I think there's, if we keep dredging and dredging and dredging, are we just going to make a bigger hole or are we going to actually find a way out? And that sounds kind of cold and I don't mean it that way, but I, I'm a big fan of find the root pull it out, 
move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. No, I think it's important. You've got to bring all of that into the light. And the more we deny it, the more we hold that door closed, like from your earlier quote. Right. And now, I, just, just real quick, I think that before we had spoken, started recording, we had talked about how, you know, especially as empathic people, when you change or you, a negative family pattern, you're you're developing a new identity for yourself. And so you might feel like you don't belong to the rest of your family or your or if your family isn't willing to acknowledge or do this ancestral work with you, this is when we get into needing setting the boundaries or feeling ostracized or needing to step away. And that's really, really important to take into consideration. What, that it's okay to do that? Yeah. And that it might, you're going to change. You're going to, which I I love change. I think that growing, evolving, changing, experiencing is a beautiful way to be on the planet. But I think with this level of family patterns, a lot of people in your family of origin either may not want to acknowledge it or may not even recognize it. Yeah. And that's okay. But I always contend that when you change, it's like a, a mobile hanging over a baby's crib it kind of encourages other or forces other people in a way to change, right? That's what we often talk about when you and I discuss setting boundaries. And right. it, it might not happen right away. There's um, a TV show, if anyone gets HBO, I just love this show. It's called Someone Somewhere. And it's about a woman and she just doesn't feel like she really fits into her family and she's grieving the death of her sister And her other sister is like the perfect one in the family. And so she does kind of pull back from the family and she creates her own new family. And they are just this wonderful, hilarious set of characters. But you see, as the seasons go on, she keeps going back to that family, but each time she's different and she's stronger. And the other family members slowly but surely are changing and responding to that. And so I think it's often this, this in and out, this, growth and expansion and this pulling back and then growth and expansion. But each time, because you're healing and you're stronger, it is going to affect the family. Right. And are you becoming a a mediator or a healer for your family? Could be. Don't don't put that on us. Okay. We got enough on our (laughs) to-do list. (laughs) Just scratch that one right off. <laughs> but uh, in in that book, ancestral heal your ancestral roots. She talks about this, Denise. We have individual karma and family karma. Again, I'm like, girlfriend, please take this stuff off my back. Now we got now I got to think about family karma. But it's true if you think about it, right? Of course we'd have family karma. Of course we would. I mean, it's even referenced in the Bible. She says, well, karma can be thought of as a as a principle that rights wrongs by balancing scales energetically, karma also gives us the chance to change old patterns. Through this human form, karma offers us the option to consciously choose what will help us heal, grow, and learn our spiritual lessons about life. It does this by presenting us with life events, relationships, and situations that echo the past in some way, whether it's our past or our family's past. And I really like that definition of karma. And so I feel like what she's saying is karma isn't about, you know, just righting wrongs and you did this in a past life. So this has to happen to you in a present life. It's really about the opportunity to choose challenges that will help us heal and grow and learn lessons. Well, that's beautifully said. Yes. That's incredible Uh, because it's what this really comes down to. I personal opinion is I think of finding a way to identify, but also show respect for your ancestors. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for them. Good, bad, or indifferent, that you you signed on to be part of that family if if you believe in soul contracts and pre, you know, that you orchestrate your life before you get here, all of those things. But when you start to give respect for all the good things that we've been gifted with combined with the knowing, you know, the impact that it will come for future generations. That's pretty amazing. 
It really is amazing. And and you have to think about all all the ups and downs and triumphs and tragedies that our generations have gone through so that we can walk this earth today. So there is strength running through all of us. I mean, if you look at historic events of war and famine and just immigration and slavery and, 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 and to think that we're all here. I think it's amazing that, you know, there is a lot of, a lot of strength and overcoming that's running through all of us. And you're right. We have to honor that. Most, most of the research you and I did talked about creating an altar to honor our ancestors. I've never done that. Have you? I have in the sense of, um, on when I was, yes, I have not with that specific in mind, but I have had a ancestral altar where you put the pictures, you put momentums from that mementos from that person, you put memories, you, you put offerings on there that would be for me as always nature offerings to go with that person. I did it when I was learning uh, shamanic and mediumship training years and years and years ago to make a stronger connection with my people in spirit. I think that's beautiful. I, I carry a photo of my grandfather in my wallet. I have dedicated rosary prayers to my grandmothers, you know, things like that, but I've never done an, an actual altar. And, and I didn't really think about it until I was doing this research about all the cultures over the entire world that do this all the time. And I don't know why it just didn't, didn't enter my head that this is something that is you know, honoring our ancestors is widely practiced all over the world in, in every culture and religion. Yes. And I think that's really important. And most of these honorings include food and prayer, which I think is funny. It, not funny, like, haha, like funny, interesting, like food is sustenance, right? And, right. and prayer is an offering. And so in both, you're offering something, you're offering, you're offering sustenance and you're offering love and healing, which I feel is connected to prayer. And so you're giving something back to the people who have gone before you. Now, there are a lot of ways you can create an altar to honor your ancestors. One of the things that um, I think is, is important that I don't know that I would have thought about, but Dr. Dayal Gulati says, do not put it in your bedroom. You want to keep that your private sanctuary. If you do create an ancestral altar, it should be in the kitchen, a dining room, a family room, like a, a communal room. And I, I think that's a really good point. She says you can use a photo, flowers, crystals, mementos, jewelry that's been passed down, medals your grandfather or earned, maybe a baseball card your uncle collected, anything that connects you with family memories to start the altar, she recommends using a piece of fabric that's either from your country of origin or, again, connects you to your family. So, you know, maybe it's a cross-stitch sampler your mom made or a baby blanket your aunt knitted for you. If you don't have anything like that, you should consider using a piece of red fabric because red is connected to the root chakra, and that's the seat of the family in our energy system. And then on this altar, you can place a small map, maybe representing where you're from, the items connecting you to your family that we just mentioned, and maybe some religious statues like Mother Mary, Kuan Yin, Ganesh, um, the saints or angels. And you also want to include the five elements of water, air, earth, fire, and sound. So for water, you can use holy or blessed water or a seashell. For air, you could diffuse oils or use incense. To represent earth, you could use crystals or flowers. For fire, light a candle. And for sound, use a small bell, a singing bowl, or symbols. And then you want to create a short prayer that includes an honoring to your ancestors and your intention for healing. And then, you know, you just light that candle each day and say that prayer, offering that up. Now, she recommends starting this on a full moon and completing it on a new moon which I thought was interesting because a full moon is about gratitude. And as we move from the full moon to the new moon, we are going through the, the waning moon and um, wait, no, we're going through all the cycles, correct? Right. But that kind of makes sense because if you go back to wanting to do this with respect and connection, gratitude would be the perfect place to start. 
Yeah, so, I thought so too. My yeah. initial reaction was, oh no, it should be on the new moon. You're starting this. But then I thought, no, because if a full moon of the fullness, it looks like a pregnant woman in the sky, right? So it's all about birth and fertility and being grateful and and feeling full of that gratitude. So it makes perfect sense. Right. And some people take this, like the altar, they'll even go a little bit further and make uh, an ancestral shrine. And usually this is, again, goes back to our ancient ancestors. And you uh, this you can go to any culture that you're connected with or that you're interested in or that you feel. A, it, and there there are shrines that have been developed that are even usually with nature there again nature is an important part of all of this because we're so interconnected with it and when you think back to the previous generations they they were so much more intricately interwoven with the natural world than we are now i know and so it is nice to do things like this to remind ourselves not only of our deep rooted connections to the generations of our family but also just to our deep rooted connections to nature all around us. Right. And you know, any type of ritual you're going to prepare. So bringing, getting together all of the things that you mentioned that will honor the people in your family and then have some kind of a performance or a prayer or a meditation or light some incense or celebrate or offer, do an offering. And the third part is celebration. It's about gratitude and joy and healing. I, I really think this gives us an amazing, amazing opportunity to help that person who may have, like with your example of the really shy person generations back, when we do this level of work, are we helping them on their soul path to release that as well? So if and when they choose to reincarnate, they don't have to bring that residual with them. Yes, I definitely think that is true. And I feel I have experience with that. Like I've shared many times on the show and in, and in my book, the dream visitation I had with my grandmother who asked for our prayers here so she could continue healing on the other side. I definitely think that whatever we intend and the, and the good that we put out, it echoes back into the future. Oh, that was a weird slip. It echoes back into the past, but I guess it does also echo into the future as well. So it's it's really important to think about. Something else I want to mention, I think it's really important to ask questions and to really explore your family history as much as possible. And don't just ask your parents questions, especially if you're younger and you have aunts and uncles and great aunts and uncles still with you, ask them for their stories as well. I, I wrote a letter to my uncle who was not very close to my dad. He was much older than my father, but in my late twenties, I wrote him a letter and I just said, you know, Hey, uncle John, I really want to know like anything about our family history. And, you know, he sent me back a nine page handwritten note with wow. all sorts of stuff that even my dad didn't know. So I just think asking those questions is so, so important. And later as Uncle John got older, so he was a professor of economics his whole life. And what, what I knew of him was very, you know, stoic and smart and professory, right? We had all his books he had written on economics in our bookshelf growing up. Denise, it could have been written in ancient Aramaic. Like I, and I couldn't even understand him really when he talked, you know what I mean? You know, people mm -hmm. that are that smart. Yes. And so he's older and he's in a nursing home and I guess he relaxed more. I don't know, but I started calling him and holy cow, I did not know he was arrested for being a communist in Greenwich Village in the 1950s or early 60s. I mean, he lived a really cool, different hippie life than, than my dad did that I had never heard about because by the time I came along, he's in a suit and tie and, you know, going to Columbia to teach, right? So it was so cool just hearing his stories. My mom always told stories that that her dad was just super absent, you know, that he was just always at work or at the bar drinking and she just wasn't a fan of him. And so I just never really thought a whole lot about my grandfather. He died when I was two. I didn't know him. And I started talking to my uncle Bobby and my aunt Joan and my aunt Claire and asking them questions. And they were, and 
They were like, no, oh my gosh, everyone loved your grandfather. He was hilarious. He went to the bar every night because he entertained everyone. And he, I, I just never knew that side of him. And I wouldn't have known if I hadn't have asked other people besides my mom. So I think it's really important if you're go- going to start this journey to really dive in deep. I, I, oh, I went to my mom's house and was going through all her photo albums, like old ones that I've never really been able to look at before. And I found all these love letters from my grandmother, her mother, to a man she dated before she met my grandfather. And let me tell you, Grammy, she was, uh, she was very passionate. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's important to breathe life into these people. Well, I think those letters should go on the altar. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to keep them away from the candle flame. (laughs) Oh, goodness. So, so I think that that that's really a great example too, of, you know, what you don't, we all have our own perception of it. And when you do start to do this work, you may, and I, I don't know if I've shared this or not, but, you know, been doing some, some personal work over the last year or so. And, having memories that I've always had a certain way. And now I'm through healing through other work that I'm doing with people in spirit. I'm starting to see it from their perspective of why they may have made some choices that they did. It's very eye-opening. It really is because if we've always perceived it as, as similar to your mom saying he was always at the bar, he was never around. And then you get these other stories there, there is always someone else's, you know, the two sides to every story thing that we we always say. But um, this is just so interesting. But you're right. Be, there, there is probably things that you never would expect because we immediately think, well, when I first started reading about this and thinking about it, it was all the dark stuff, the fears, the shadows, the negative. And you do. Why do we all have financial issues or controlling personalities or, you know, dark things that might have happened legally in a family of origin? But then you can say, why do we all have this amazing ability to, you know, rebound or to help the community or to be creative and figure out new ways of doing things? So it it's a mixed bag once you start digging. Yeah, it really is. But it's it's a bag that's filled with treasures. And I do think it depends on the perspective you give it. You can look at it as all negative. You can look at it as all positive and wonderful. But I think our goal should be to find positives and the negatives and see the treasures in both of those, right? Like take, for example, my uncle John, my dad's older brother, he was the first person in his family in every generation going back and back and back to go to college. Mm-hmm. My dad went to college and his, all his kids went to college. Like one person making a positive step forward like that to further his education, it echoes down through the generations. So you can look at your family history and go, gosh, you know, we came to this country with nothing and we never had any opportunity and no one was educated. And okay, you can do that. But then you can look at the one person who was like, no, I'm going to work my my butt off and pay for my own college and get there and do what I can. And, and, and look at how that domino down the family line and see the difference. I think personal opinion, sometimes we don't even know, like with choices we've made in our own lives, have we broken a cycle? Have we changed something that may not even be apparent for generations to come? Yeah. We don't even know. We don't, maybe, maybe you listening to this right now, maybe you've made a choice that's going to echo positively down the generations, right? One of, one of my aunts is the first woman, I think in any generation of that family to be divorced. I really do. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure she's the first one. You know, you know us Catholics, we're very hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure she looked at that as a negative thing, right? As a as a blip on her on her life. I don't know, however you want to call it. I'm putting words in her mouth, sorry. But I know it wasn't she was, it wasn't something she necessarily celebrated, you know, like yippee. And yet I look at 
her nieces and nephews, there's not many of us who are divorced, but those of us who are, it was a good thing. It was a very good thing. And she paved the way for that. So even again, the negatives, I think it's important. And I'm not saying brush them over with happy pink pastel colors, right? I'm not saying that. Yes, it was hard for her and traumatic for her and difficult to be a single mom in the 70s, but she did it. And she raised amazing kids as a result. So I'm just saying to also look at the positive of some of the trauma that's gone on in your family line. Oh, incredibly important. A lot of this is talking about trauma. And that's such a, I don't know, that word is kind of triggering to me. Isn't that such a heavy word? Mm -hmm. But one of the things that um, Dr. Dayal Gulati says in her books is that trauma is inevitable. It's a part of everyone's life. And she says it can cause an inability to express love, to parent, to relate to others with warmth, acceptance, and intimacy. And she says trauma can even prevent a person from earning a living. She says trauma is a response to stress that becomes automatic whenever you are reminded of the original wounding. And then she says it's an unprocessed story. Trauma is an unprocessed story. Oh. I think, yeah, isn't that really interesting? And I, I don't know. I just I invite everyone to sit with that for a while. Anyway, she says, it's important to start looking at your parents and ancestors as people, not your family, and start to see them through the lens of the trauma they experienced and maybe never had a chance to process so that you can arrive at a point of compassion. Not Now, we're not talking necessarily about forgiveness, right? I think if you if you throw in physical or sexual abuse into this mix, my personal opinion, all it all bets are off the table. I, you know, I don't know that we have to view that with any compassion or forgiveness. I think some stuff is is hard. I think what we're talking about is more, I don't know, general trauma. Do you agree with me or not? I think I think some trauma is incredibly hard, and it's going to need the help of a therapist and in time to heal. But when right. we're talking about general trauma that's been passed on through the family line, I do think our goal is to look at that through the lens of compassion. I agree. I also think that this is such a very, very, very personal individual experience. And you can't compare of, well, this was my what happened in my lineage and how it impacted me. And that's so much worse than what impacted you. It's not a comparison. It, 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 we can't fall into your life was so much worse than mine because that's not what we're talking about here. And I, no. I think that it is, I, I heard some things recently that uh, brought such a sense of humility and gratitude to what my life is compared to what someone shared with me. And, you know, you hear some stories sometimes and they really, they impact you greatly, very, very deeply. And you think, oh, dear God, that's such a living hell for that person. So I think that when we look at, we don't, I, I guess that the bottom line is we don't want to marginalize our own experience and compare it to, to someone else because it's ours. And it's the way we're wired and it doesn't make it better or worse or different. It just makes it ours. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point, Denise. All right. You want to hear um, a scientific study? I do. Okay. I, love a good I found scientific this study. I, I love a good scientific study. All right. So I found this one interesting. In the late 1980s, Michael J. Meany, PhD, and his research team at McGill University began examining the relationships among stress, maternal care, and gene expression. These researchers looked at the long-term effects of separating rodent mothers from their newborn pups for several minutes each day. And they found that the adult pups were more prone to stress and showed changes in certain regions of their brain when they were separated from their babies. However, the behavior of the mother on being reunited with her pups namely the extent to which she licked and groomed her pups, you know, like showed affection, was really important to the babies. The mother's rate of grooming affected the pup's future stress response. More grooming led to a more modest stress response. Less grooming led to the pups later being more fearful. And these changes, Denise, 
they were able to prove in this study persisted over two generations. Wow. Yeah. So if your grandmother or great-grandmother wasn't good at giving and showing love and affection, that's going to be passed on to you and your ability to handle stress, which I feel kind of lines up with what you were saying in terms of like, don't judge yourself. If you, if you react strongly with a lot of stress and fear to a situation that maybe your best friend would just, you know, roll through like, like water off a duck's back. Don't judge yourself for that. It could be connected to this. Who knows? Right. And just to take that a step further, if you go back a few generations where families were pretty much uh, there because of mortality rates and everything else, people had big families. People had big families to help work on the farm or in the service industry or whatever it might be. And was there only so much love and affection some people received at that time frame that got passed down as a as that needs healing? And if you, I, I don't know, I'm making this up as I go, but I'm just wondering if someone has a hard time expressing, you know, physical affection or, or receiving that, is there a block back to where they just weren't given that, uh, that attention similar to what would happen with the rodents in the study? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, again, I think it's, it's on us to be aware of that, right. And to change that for for ourselves. I think really every every generation I think we are responsible. Maybe we all hold the keys. Do you agree with that? I do. I do because you're basically taking control back of your life and saying these things happened. I want to acknowledge them. I want to honor the people in my family history that went through this and in if you really want to go altruistic with it gifted me with this so that I could make these changes for future generations. Yeah. And I think it can be learned. Oh, I agree. I, I was not raised with affection. My my mom and dad weren't like, oh, give me a hug, Samantha, right? <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or like a pat on the back. I didn't hold their hand. And unless I was crossing a street and a bus was coming at me and they had to jerk me back on the sidewalk, <laughs> no one would hold my hand. <laughs> And I remember when I was first married, I married a hugger. I married a snuggler. And I was like, oh, for the love of God, like, what, what is this? It was so annoying to me. But I, but we talked about it and I learned and he actually instituted something he called hug time into our life. Nothing sexual, just legit hug time where we would share about our day. And oh God, Denise, like for two years, it was uncomfortable for me, but I was like, I love this man. I'm going to do this. It's fine. And and it shifted in me. And I'm so glad that I had that experience because, you know, we waited five years to have kids. When we finally did have kids, I was a hugger by then. And, and I was able to give that maternal affection to my kids very easily and naturally. So I do think all of this can be learned. I don't think it has to be passed on. I don't think we have to look at studies of, oh, this persists for two generations and throw our hands up and go, oh, well, right. no, I think it can be changed. I agree. I agree. And this is kind of a random thing to throw in, but don't you think it's interesting that this ancestral healing, relatively new, but also it's been relatively new since people have been very, very interested in DNA testing and genetic testing and where's my lineage and 23andMe and Ancestry.com. It's all tied together. Yeah, I never looked at it that way. That is interesting. You're right. You're absolutely right. Maybe maybe the whole of the, the world collective consciousness is calling us to do this. Oh, I think so. We're getting ready. Good things are coming. <laughs> I know we I know we've got to wrap up, but there's one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, from this book, Heal Your Ancestral Roots. She says, in her opinion, what's at the heart of every parent-child conflict is a disruption of this truth. Parents give, children receive. And she said, when parents aren't the ones giving and children aren't the ones receiving, 
that's when you have conflict. So when a child has to take care of a parent or a child isn't receiving anything from a parent, they're just kind of left to their own devices, you're going to have that conflict. I thought that was so simply put and yet very, very truthful. Oh, it it makes a lot of sense. Wow. Yeah. And the other thing she said was that what's at the heart of almost all trauma and blockage and inability to heal is this deepest collective fear that we are unlovable. And so the key to healing a lot of this is to find that love within yourself, to learn how to love yourself, which I don't think is easy, but I do think it can be done. And to then, once you've been able to, I don't know if I should say accomplish that, because I do think it's an ongoing journey, right? To then pass that back to your generations who helped bring you here. That needs more thought, doesn't it? When you think, because that's what so much of this work feels like to me is we've scratched the surface with what we've talked about today. We've talked about altars and going back to your ceremony, doing ceremony with items from your your lineage and all of those things. But what it really comes down to is you're just getting your toe in the door and opening, exploring. I don't think there's an end to this work. No, I don't either. And I, but I think that's the beauty of it. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want there necessarily to be an end to this because around each new bend, as we traverse this journey of, of self-love and inner healing, we make such fascinating, amazing discoveries. It's like the hero's journey. You know, you're, you're excited when the hero gets the the reward he's been searching for on the journey, but there's also kind of a sense of, oh, now what? Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice that it's an unending journey, I think. I agree. There's always more to discover, more to learn, and 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 more growth, but also more celebration. And that's really what's at the heart, I think, of this episode is, is really just a reminder to not only celebrate yourself and how far you've come, but to also look back at the generations that that got you here and and celebrate them as well. Even those who don't, you know, there's some. There's some branches on my family tree I think need pruning, but I'll I'll try to celebrate them instead. <laughs> well, we we hope we've given you guys some things to think about. Again, the books we have been talking about today are Heal Your Ancestral Roots, Release the Family Patterns That Hold You Back. And the name of your book, Denise? Ancestral Healing Made Easy, How to Resolve Ancestral Patterns and Honor Your Family History. Perfect. Thank you guys so much for listening. And please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.